And welcome to Biz Law with Michael Palermo. And uh, this is a series that we are doing here on Biz Radio Asheville and during my show as well. And really excited to go ahead and, and continue this conversation, Mike. There's been there's been so much that we've covered already just in the first few episodes of this series and everything. Give people a real quick recap and kind of frame what we're doing if it's the first time they're tuning in. What we're doing is, from a business lawyer's perspective, which is me, we are uh, talking about the life cycle of a business. So from the beginning of the business, starting your business, what are the legal documents that are needed? How do you decide that? What form should your business take? Then the second week we got into working with other owners. What are the types of agreements you should have with other owners or key investors, big investors? Last week we talked now about now you've got your business set up. Now you're building your team. How do you work with employees? What makes someone an employee versus an independent contractor? And then today we're going to get into um, working with your customers or your vendors, written agreements, working with landlords for leases. What, what are the things you should look for? What should be in them? And then after that, we're going to start getting towards the end of the life cycle of the business in the last few episodes. We'll talk about franchises. We'll talk about um, succession what happens when you leave your business and we'll talk about how to sell a business and uh and i've already sent the uh, podcast of the building a team to a couple of different business people that i know <laughs> so right yeah so i know there's at least two people listen to that podcast but it's uh yeah Three, it's, it's really great information it. yeah it's and and you know i found it so useful too going through it you know here i am sitting here in the studio and having the conversation with you but i found myself making notes i've got my notepad Right there, that shaking sound is my notepad. So, again, yeah. thank you. And with all your experience in business law, you know, from from small mom and pops up to corporate business situations, um, you know, it's it's really valuable to offer all your insights to our local business community. So, thank you for that. I'll tell you what, Matt. Um, I've been doing this almost thirty years now. I, I hate to say, and I I still learn things. People ask me to do something I've never done before in that thirty years. So. And we've done this radio series before, but every time we talk, there's something new to talk about, something mm -hmm. different. I heard something new the other day. You heard something new. So rely on your experts. We One of our underlying themes has always been you don't know what you don't know. And I know a lot. I don't know everything, but I certainly know probably a lot more than people who are starting even running a business when That's it comes for to sure. the law. <laughs> Well, let's talk now about um, customer and vendor agreements. What are they? Should people have them? Let's get that conversation started. Fundamental question. Do you need a written agreement with your customers? And if so, what should be in them? Um, the answer is it just depends on your business. It's the lawyer answer, but I think everybody listening probably figured that out. If you're selling cupcakes, somebody walks in the door, buys a cupcakes and leaves. That's actually an agreement. Um, they say, I want to buy a cupcake. You agree to sell them one, and they pay the agreed-upon price. You, it doesn't have to be a five-page written agreement. Um, I get a lot of business owners that call me and say, hey, should we put together a written agreement? Um, fundamentally, I ask them, what, what is your business model? What, what are you giving to people in exchange for them handing you money? How complicated is that transaction? What are the repercussions of that transaction if something should go wrong? So what I look at is, um, do you need to define certain things that aren't understood automatically with somebody just walking up here? Counter. 
And, and so when people are walking up to your counter, um, I think in the age of COVID, it's important for us to take a moment and think about e-commerce on that. So when people are walking up to your counter, it, it, nowadays more than ever, it also could mean they're logging in on your website. Is, is, sure. is there a different consideration for this conversation? Is it framed differently when you're looking at business online versus business in person? The, the method is different because you're not standing there with a cupcake in your, in your hand and a, you know, a $5 bill. But um, the idea is the same that you need to, you need to set certain terms of the transaction. And when you're online, those terms are more easily set because you'll, you'll build that into your, your business portal, your web portal. Um, well, what about, even, uh, go ahead. Even big businesses, um, they're doing a lot of work online now. If they're ordering equipment or, uh, you know, if they're a big manufacturer, they might have their their vendors or their salespeople just log in and place orders. So all these things need to be there that we're going to talk about in about a minute. Um, well, maybe two minutes because I have another question as yeah. far as online versus in person. Jurisdictionally for businesses, is there a difference for their online commerce versus their brick and mortar commerce? And this goes under the heading of I, I learn something or I get a new challenge almost every day, even though I've been doing <laughs> this for 30 years. What if it's if it's business to business, pretty much every state, to my knowledge, has adopted what's called the Uniform Commercial Code, which was set up, I don't know, 100 years ago to try to um, formalize and standardize transactions, mostly amongst merchants, but also uh, business to customer. Mm-hmm. And um so the problem being certain states are going to modify the, the uniform commercial code for what their particular constituents might want. So, yeah, if you're selling to someone in California from North Carolina, there might be different warranty obligations or ship shipping obligations. I, I don't know what it could be. Probably warranty obligations. California is kind of strange with warranties. So it does, you know, for a $40 order, who cares? Right. But for a yeah, but if you're one of our advanced manufacturers or something like that, and you're talking purchase orders that are tens of thousands of dollars, you better have that figured out. <laughs> More, I mean, we, you know, when we get into warranties, especially things like that, yeah. um, you know, one word in a warranty can completely change the meaning of a document, and whether or not the contract was entered into in California or North Carolina could have a big impact, and that's mm. still being resolved by the courts through lawsuits. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the e-commerce. Yeah, and and there's a lot of areas like that. We won't go foot, too far down rabbit holes and everything. I don't want to distract yeah. you off from what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah, um, so when we talk about agreements, so you've gotten past the threshold question that you're not, you're, you're not in retail, you're not just selling you know, widgets for $4 each when somebody walks in. The things that go into um, every contract, whether it's, someone buying a cupcake or someone buying $400,000 worth of widgets. Uh, basic things, price, quantity, quality, delivery date and method, and whether or not there's a warranty. Those are kind of the big things when someone asked me to either review a contract, talk to them about a contract, or draft a contract for them. Those are my starting points. Um, price, quantity, quality are actually related because you might get a discount for purchasing a bunch. Mm-hmm. So the, the unit price might be 50 cents, but if you buy 10,000 of them, the unit price goes down to 40 cents. You want to make sure you've got the price and the quantity down. And also the quality. If you're buying, 
let's say you're buying pens to hand out at networking events. You've got the price, they're a dollar each. You buy 500 of them, so now they're 90 cents each. But what's the pen look like? Is it, is it going to be a cheap pen? Is it going to be a really nice pen with logo and engraving on it? So those are kind of the three things. And then delivery date and method. Um, you know, if you need it for a certain date, you have to let them know and let them know what, what the repercussions might be if it doesn't show up on time. Yeah, and that would be a category that would make me nervous nowadays. You know, uh, there's just so, yeah. there's so many moving targets on that. Um, even even for here at Biz Radio, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of mail that goes back and forth. You know, we're we're an electronic company, right. but still there are times where things have to go through the mail. And I've had simple things that take a week and a half when it should have taken three days. And so that that the delivery part would make me nervous in 2020. <laughs> Right, and so you need you need to make sure there's a, there's a good lead time, especially um, which gets us back to quality. If you're talking about custom manufactured items, or even if not custom, it might be something where um, the factory has to gear up in order to manufacture the item mm. for you, and there might be um, they might be making somebody else's product ahead of your product. I, I worked on a case once. It was um, I want to say uh, some kind of batteries. You buy like five batteries and you get a free digital watch and um the watch itself is worth like 20 cents but mm. you know by the time they make it and ship it it's still only worth 20 cents but you had to go to the factory in china you had to pick it out of the um what do you call it, the book with all the different options in it pick out your what type of watch you want what you want on the face and then the factory had to be ready to make the order so when you talk about quality you know you're also talking about uh, manufacturing, lead time, delivery date, and method. They're all related. And so when you're drawing up these different, um, you know, customer or vendor agreements and everything, is there also the component, maybe you were going to get to this already, but the flip side of it, like in order for us to fulfill these benchmarks and these timelines and everything else, you've got to have X, Y, Z to us in this format by these certain times, or that guarantee is gone. Yeah. Um, so those are just the basics, basic, basic, you know, contracts 101, first year, first semester of law school, price, quantity, quality, delivery date method, and whether or not there's a warranty. When you, Of course, when you get into specialty items, you'll be working with the manufacturer or the manufacturer's rep um, to set benchmarks, to set quality. Um, yeah, one, one thing I learned on that watch case was, there's different kinds of plastic. What kind of plastic do you want, even for this little tchotchke? Um, you got to make these decisions, and then that plastic has to get to the factory. But those all should be in writing. Now, what are the risks to businesses if they just kind of fly by the seat of their pants and they're like, well, you know, it seems like a lot of work to write this all out to be so specific. I'm a handshake kind of business. What is the risk that they are taking on by not showing due diligence on this side of it? The, the risk is you get what you pay for. And if you didn't tell them what you were paying for, you're going to get what they give you, and you, you won't have any right to complain. Um, if you're just selling cheap little plastic things at the cash register, you might not care because, you know, it's a keychain. Who cares? But if this is a critical component of a, of a brake assembly, or like you said, we've got some incredible manufacturing moving to down at, down by Hendersonville and up here in Asheville. Um, you know, these, these pieces are going in airplane engines mm -hmm. and medical equipment and everything. Medical, else, yeah. crazy medical equipment. Um, 
the more critical the component or the product, the more detailed you want to get into it. It, it might just be calling out a catalog number or a product name, um, but it might be more detailed than that. So if you have a draftsman drawing up what the product looks like to be manufactured, that draftsman should also draw up what the materials are, what the standards are for the materials, how what your um, rejection rate is for defective products. That should also now that that, that should work its way into the contract somehow. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a callback uh, to a previous episode, but are these contracts, does, does the level of liability for an owner change based on how they structured their business when we're talking about these specific customer and vendor agreements, these contracts? So for the owner, hopefully they've set up as a, as a proper corporation or a limited liability company. And as long as they're running it properly, the liability for some sort of defective, let's say if you're the manufacturer and, and you make a, you sell a bad product, that liability should stop with the corporation or the limited liability company. It shouldn't extend to the owner. Not to the person personally. So, but having these contracts and these protections and everything, um, you know, the corporate structure really is going to be that barrier on personal liability rather than the contract itself. I'm thinking about a lot of, um, you know, sole proprietors and small businesses. If they're thinking, you know, well, you know, um, I have this contract, I'm protected and everything. Like I said, call back to a previous episode. The structure of your business is going to be more what determines protecting your personal liability rather than these contracts, correct? Yeah, it, it's actually illustrates that all these episodes, everything we talk about are related. So when, when I meet with you to form your business and I'm asking you a million questions about, well, what kind of clients are you going to have in five years? What sort of product are you going to be selling in five years? I'm asking them because the way you explained your business to me today might not need liability protection, but in five years you might need some mm -hmm. really heavy duty liability protection. So like in that case, if you remember, I may have said, if you're a sole proprietor, you probably don't need to set up any type of structure because you're always personally liable. But if you're making a critical component, even as a sole proprietor, you, in that particular case, you can probably shield yourself from liability contractually, but you'd have to do it through the corporate entity or the company entity, the LLC. Mm -hmm. Well, very good. And, you know, because my, my interest too, you know, my, my personal interest and motivation in hitting these different issues is that I, I want to see that our local business community does what they have to to cross their T's and dot their I's, you know, because it just seems, um, and I know in a future episode, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about real estate type things and, and lease agreements and everything for your space and all that kind of stuff. But right now there's just this weird little tug of war that's going on. And I talked about it in my show and in, in the separate monologue, but where these large corporate interests are really coming head to head with locally owned mom and pop businesses. And, and the tug of war for market share is greater now than I've seen it in a long time. And so having your stuff locked down, safe, secure is not just important for your own business. I think as a business community, it's important for the sustainability of our community itself. One, one thing that Asheville offers um, is scale. But when I talk about scale, I don't mean making 10 million units. I mean, we have smaller businesses that can make 500 or 5,000 units. Mm -hmm. or or that can pivot on a dime and modify a design within a couple of days and get get a modified design out 
Whereas if, if you're dealing with a huge factory with 8,000 employees, they need to keep the wheels spinning. Um, and they can't do it with a 500, um, 500 unit order. So that's, that's what Asheville has that's great. And what, one of the things that just to do a look on myself is I've worked with these big global billion dollar corporations and I've worked with the mom and pops and I don't see why the mom and pops can't have the same legal services, the same high quality legal representation that I gave to the billion dollar businesses. Mm -hmm. And that that's kind of one of my selling points is, you know, we can be sophisticated, but we can also still be mom and pop and local and, you know, wear, wear flannel shirts to work and everything that you, you can't really get in the big city. Right. And, and here in Western North Carolina, yeah, wearing a shirt to work is optional, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So uh, let's take it to the next step then in, in this topic. The next step is going to be uh, warranties. Warranties are, are big um, depending on what the product is. And again, you know, we, we talk generically about widgets, but it could be that critical piece in a, in a brake assembly or, you know, the airplane engine. Um, when it comes to warranty, you don't need to offer a warranty. So let's start out with that premise. You don't really need to offer a warranty. It just depends on your level of risk, what what the product is, what the risk of a failure of the product is. You know, for a, for a $200 sale, you don't need to call me up and spend $800 drafting a warranty. That's just, it's inefficient. If the $200 sale goes south, you just give them their $200 back. But if it's a critical component, now you want to start getting into warranty. So you'll hear like lifetime warranty, limited warranty. Um, the big one is 100,000 miles or 10 years on the powertrain. Th those are all samples of warranties. There's, there's a, you hear the roofing companies give um, lifetime warranty on parts and labor. Well, that's actually a limited warranty. Notice they don't say warranty on your, the roof is not going to leak. Because in the roofing business, in the housing business, leaks come from anywhere and they, they come from everywhere. So you don't really know. But they can warranty, hey, we, we put it on and we put on a good product. Hmm. And interesting on, on like the terms that are used. I, I'm, I'm someone who like I would snicker sometimes at like warning labels or I, I, I went through a phase where I really enjoyed reading the fine print because there was stuff where it was just like facepalm worthy. It was head shake worthy. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's a reason for that because I got to the point where I started reading some of those things and I realized they put it on there for a reason. It means there was actually a legal case tied to that. Quite often. <laughs> Yeah, quite, you know, and I would just yeah. shake my head and go, "Wow, you know, somebody got a lot of money awarded to them because they spilled hot coffee on their lap. It was hot coffee, and they didn't know it was hot coffee." You know, I mean, so you know, there's reasons for these discussions, and I think, especially with small business, with the people that I've known, I think there's a tendency to kind of be like, "Yeah, well, that not me." You know, it's not going to happen to me. Sure. I'm not going to have to deal with this kind of stuff. And when they see these these different warning labels or small print and everything, they just kind of snicker about, oh, we've just become such a litigious society. There's a reason that those are on there. Yeah, I, I've drafted all kinds of warranties. And they're, they're, they kind of read the same, but they're use-specific. They're specific to a particular business. Um, I've done work for... A restoration specialist where they come in and get rid of the mold and the mildew and that sort of thing but 
they can't guarantee that all the mold and all the mildew will be gone because mold and mildew are floating around in the air. Mm-hmm. So I've drafted, it's a limited warranty. It's, it's the warranty says we came in, we did it, uh, you know, we set up the appropriate machines. We did it in a work, workmanlike manner. And we'll, we'll guarantee that it'll be below a threshold of mold for 30 days. But after 30 days, you get back into the roof leaks, water's coming in the basement. Who knows who left the window open? Um, so you, you give them a limited warranty based on your specific business. Hmm. And, and these aren't these aren't million dollar businesses. These are, you know, they might have half a million and seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in revenue, but the warranty is going to protect them when somebody says, "Hey, you put on a new roof four years ago, and now I've got mold in my basement." And you can point to the warranty and say, "Hey, we we disclaimed," which is actually a particular word. Um, we disclaimed any type of mold um, in our warranty. We said we're not responsible for any kind of mold, and also our warranty was only for thirty days. I think it's safe to say when people are like, you know, the the whole it'll never happen to me syndrome, hopefully people are not naive enough to think that that's still the case, um, you know, but the idea that, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm practicing good business practices, I got good relationships with people, and, you know, no one would ever come back a year later and try to make a ridiculous claim on me. Yeah, um, no one. It would never happen. Uh, but there's people who feel that way, and, you know. And I'll just share a personal story. I went through something like that where um, I had a business relationship where it was like, oh, we're tight, we're on the same wavelength, we have the same goals, same aspirations, same outlooks, same philosophies, and everything else. And yeah. um, it ended up costing me seventeen thousand dollars in stuff that was bilked out of me. You know, yeah. I mean, so that was an expensive lesson to learn and if i had if i had gone through some of the things you've talked about in this series i guarantee you to get those protections in place would not have cost me $17,000 on the front end what what i tell a lot of these especially smaller clients is you you got to communicate um what are the hot spots in your business why is why are you know 30 40 50% of your complaints going to come back in a year and get out in front so you tell the person Hey, we're putting on a roof, but we don't know where the water is coming from. So you might still get water after it rains. Or, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to paint your car, but you had a lot of rust underneath, so we're not sure the paint is going to hold your car. Just tell them that. Get out in front of it, and then you've got a warranty to back it up. I've had dozens of clients come back over the years and say, we got a complaint from this guy. He was threatening to sue. He had a lawyer. And we pointed to the warranty you drafted and said, hey, you know, here's your remedy. We'll, we'll, we'll abide by the remedy because he paid for that remedy, which is usually something like we'll either fix it or just refund your money. But we're not going to play along with the whole lawsuit thing. Hmm. Well, um, it saved them all kinds of money and lawsuits and heartache. Yeah. Um, we're already up on the end of our time here. Is there anything that we want to make sure that we uh, let folks know about before we wrap up this episode? One, one last point on warranties, and especially when you get into bigger purchase order type situations, not necessarily customer order, although it could happen in a customer order thing, too. We call it the exchange of forms where, and going back to the fax machine days, somebody will fax over an order for, you know, a big order with your properly drafted warranties and claims and terms and conditions on it. And then the other company faxes back an acknowledgement but with different warranties and, you know, claims and dispute resolutions on it. 
And then the courts have to decide, well, did, did they have a contract? The courts will look at price, quantity, quality, delivery date. But then they got to figure out which warranty applies. So just watch out. If someone says, hey, this is our standard form, stop, pause, read it, see if it fits your needs. War game, a worst case scenario. And uh, call someone who can help you with that, like me. Uh, very good. And that's a great segue to give an invite. Right. What's the best way for people to get in touch? Email palermo at palermolaw.com. My website is palermolaw.com. And I think there's a contact me or something like that form on there. All right. Very good. And if you're listening on the podcast, you can just look down in the description to connect there as well. And uh, Michael, thank you so much. Michael Palermo, Palermo Business Law Firm, uh, serving Asheville and Chicago areas. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time. What's our preview for next week? You're welcome. Next week, we, by special request, we will be talking about franchises. Very what good. Is fran what is a franchise? What's it like to buy into a franchise system? The legal stuff. Yeah, that's good. And and also, I hear a lot of local businesses talking about wanting to model their business as a franchise to sell franchises. Yeah, don't uh, do it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll talk, talk about, about that more next, we'll week. Talk about that next week. All right. Very good. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Stick around. More conversations always coming up next right here on Biz Radio Asheville.